It was March 15, 1906. The train pulling into the eastern Iowa town of Hopkinton that morning would have attracted an unusual amount of attention. Townspeople would have stopped what they were doing to watch. Shop owners would have stood in their doorways as the locomotive slowed near the depot. A notice placed in the Hopkinton newspaper days earlier had described the upcoming arrival of a company of orphan children. It said, the object of the coming of these children is to find homes in your midst, especially among farmers, where they may enjoy a happy and wholesome family life, where kind care, good example, and moral training will fit them for a life of self-support and usefulness. Inside the train that day, eight children would have peered out the windows, wondering about this place so far from New York. The group soon made its way off the train and down the block to the Hotel Hopkinton. After changing into the finer clothes they had been given, they were escorted to the nearby Masonic Lodge, where a group had gathered to see the children being offered. The boys and girls were asked to stand and sing a song, recite poetry, anything that might endear them to the crowd. By the time the gathering had ended, each of the eight children had gone home with a different set of strangers. Between 1854 and 1929, this scene played out many times across the United States, particularly in the Midwest. These trips, which essentially amounted to the resettlement of a quarter of a million children, were later collectively described as the orphan train movement. Hello there. Pull up a chair. I'm going to be um, giving you an update. I can already tell that this file I have started about child orphans is going to grow some pretty big legs. So let me give you um, the background information. And just to clarify the last show, when I was talking about the vaccines and the military and Trump, I was referring to Operation Warp Speed. That was the name of the program. So, how did I get to orphans? Well, I was starting to write a show about Johnny Carson, who's called the king of comedy in this country, major deceiver, having kind of a good time writing it, right? And then I don't even remember how I landed on orphans in this country riding on trains. But here we are, okay? So, I'll get back to Johnny Carson later. Um, so... When you think the bottom of the barrel, when you think I'm at the bottom, well, we're still digging, right? We're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. So let me tell you today what I know about orphans in this country. It's a pretty big deal. I think it's a huge deal. And I'm not sure these orphans are anything but stolen children. So it's, it's a pretty big deal. So anyway, so if I haven't gotten across to you yet, it's the women, the children, and the Muslims. How do you think these women feel when their child gets taken? They say that these women gave them up for a better life. I don't know. I'm not going to get on a rampage at the beginning of the show today. <laughs> I'll give you a break. <laughs> Let me just tell you what I know today, okay? And then I'll get back when I know more. Let me read a little article. The September 1906 edition of Cosmopolitan Magazine accounts a story once told of an old Native American chieftain. The chieftain was given a tour of the modern city of New York. 
On this excursion, he saw the soaring heights of the Grand Skyscrapers and the majesty of the Brooklyn Bridge. He observed the comfortable masses gathered in amusements at the circus and the poor huddled in tenements. Upon the completion of the chieftain's journey, several Christian men asked him, What is the most surprising thing you have seen? The chieftain replied slowly with three words, three words, little children working. And I'm not going to get into the child labor thing right now because I only have so much room in my brain today. As economic tensions increased between England and the American colonies, the desire for an independent manufacturing sector in America became more pronounced by manufacturers employing women and children in this pursuit. The man of the household could still tend the farm at home. And there's a few things here that I don't have a clue what they're talking about. And it said, this practice helped fulfill the Jeffersonian deal of the yeoman farmer. Why is Jefferson back in here? I don't know. Stay tuned. I'll be figuring this one out. Child labor also served the Hamilton's commercial vision of America by providing increased labor to support industry. In accordance with his vision, Alexander Hamilton, as Secretary of the Treasury, noted in a 1791 report on manufacturing that children who would otherwise be idle could become a source of cheap labor. Around the same time, the influential Niles Register, a national news weekly magazine, noted that factory work was not for able-bodied men, but rather better done by little girls from 6 to 12 years old. Yeah, there's something about, they have this real hang-up on us being idle, right? Um, so anyway, so there's several places you can look if you want to dig in further. There's a couple files called The History of Child Labor in the United States, Part 1 and Part 2. It has all the reports from the Bureau of Statistics. Most of them are probably fake, but good luck looking. The parallel beliefs that labor benefited children by helping them avoid the sin of idleness and economically benefited society by helping it increase its productive cap capacity fueled the spread of the practice. Women and children dominated pre-Civil War manufacturing, but I'm not really sure about any of this stuff, okay? Um... 1870 census, one out of eight children was employed, increased to one out of five in 1990. Between 1890 and 1910, no less than 18% of all children, 10 to 15, worked. Children from families at the lower end of the class spectrum were frequently employed, whereas the concern about idle use did not appear to be one shared by the upper class. They weren't as worried about their kids being idle, right? As one well-to-do father explained in 1904, we work for our children, plan for them, spend money on them, buy life insurance for their protection, and some of even make we even save money for them. At the lower end of the income scale, though, families were forced to use their children for their labor without the luxury of saving for their futures. And then along comes the psychopaths to help these people out, right? Their evil always has to come packaged as help. So, who handled the evil picture here? Well, 
1853, Children's Aid, should have been called Children's Horror, was founded by a Yale college graduate. Of course, one of them would look down and look at those little tots of those children, those factories, and be concerned about their welfare. A philanthropist, Charles Loring Brace, with financial support from New York businessmen and philanthropists to ensure the physical and emotional well-being of children and provide them with the support needed to become successful adults. Brace was appalled by the thousands of abandoned, abused, and orphaned children living in the slums and on the streets of New York at the time. The only options available to the children at the time were begging, prostitution, petty thievery, and gang membership, or commitment to jails, almshouses, and orphanages. Orphanages. Well, how did exactly the children's aid get started by this wonderful Charles Loring Brace, who looks like a woman with a massive beard? Well, what he did was through this children's aid thing, which I will get to in one second here, he came up with this brilliant idea. The idea was called the Orphan Train. It was originated in 1853. The reason I believe it's true is because there are way too many testimonials about this deal. And also because I have a logical brain. This appears to be very true to me. But it doesn't appear to me that these people are helping these children or those poor people. It appears to me that we're looking at early trafficking. But I'm just speculating right now, okay? I've been a little bit agitated since I landed on the orphans on trains deal, okay? So, um, this is where the horror really gets started. They started in 1853. Children's Age Aid has founded a series of child welfare innovations that have since become commonplace. And probably these innovations also went around the world to the rest of you from these wonderful psychos here. Okay, what they found? Well, some of the first industrial schools get those kids out of school. The first parent-teacher associations, the first free school lunch programs, the first free dental clinics for children, the first day schools for handicapped children, the first kindergarten in the United States, the first foster homes, the first fresh air vacations in which urban children visit host families in the country for the summer, toy drives for children during the holidays, in the 1980s, Children's Aid created the first family court diversion program where social workers meet the out-of-control children and their families in an attempt to find out-of-court solutions. See how this wording is, out-of-control children. <laughs> if the children are out of control, it's because society has failed them, okay? Let's get this wording straight. These are not out-of-control children. These are children calling out for help from the adults, those of us who came here to help protect them. And most people have spent so much time on social media, no time for this kind of garbage, right? In 1992, the hits keep coming. Children's Aid created the first community school, a partnership with the New York Department of Education, where a full array of health, 
mental and after-school weekend and summer programs are available to students at school. What they do is they want to keep the kids busy, enter team sports, get them on teams, get them on sports, get them competing, get the parents running from event to event, divide and conquer the family. I don't know why this isn't more obvious to more people. Keep everybody so frantically busy while they're robbing the bank, right? In, 19, in 2009, Children's Aid was honored. Oh, these people just love those awards. Was honored with a village award from the Greenwich, Greenwich Village Society for Historical Preservation for some development. These people... Uh, and um, Children's Aid was rated four out of four stars by charities. <laughs> yeah, it's all rigged. Okay, let's get to the part about this, okay. The Orphan Trade Movement was a supervised welfare program that transported children from crowded eastern cities of the United States to foster homes located largely in rural areas of the Midwest. The orphan trains operated between 1854 and 1929. There's a lot of stories out there. I believe that this part is true. I do not believe these children were given up willingly. I believe we're looking at stolen children. But believing and thinking are not research. I will be getting more into this. So, they say that about 250,000 children are involved. I read other reports that say 400,000 children were involved, okay? The co-founders of the orphan trade movement claimed that these children were orphaned, abandoned, abused, or homeless. But this was not always true. They were mostly the children of new immigrants and the children of the poor and destitute families living in the cities. So, of course, the rich had to come in and help us out, right? The ones who stole everything come and now steal the children. That's how it works, right? So, um, there's a few groups here that I have my eyes on, and I will tell you who they are, and then I'll be back <clears throat> soon with more. Um, I had to start this. I don't like to record shows more than once because I'll wander off where I started we had a little scruffle here, so I stopped the first show because it, nobody gets at scruffles around here until I turn this microphone on. I swear they don't like their microphone. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, yeah, so um, I was thinking about where I was even going. I'll get to it in a minute. Anyway, so yeah, this is all an operation to grab more money because one thing I noticed about these people was this. They're a 5013C organization, and they're a private organization. Why is that? I don't know. But let me get to these other money thieves, okay? Okay. They were um, set up by orphanages, such as the New York Juvenile Asylum, the Children's Aid Society, just talked about them, and the New York Foundling Hospital, a Roman Catholic organization set up by the Sisters of Mercy in response to Catholic Church, Catholic children being placed in Protestant homes. The orphan trains resulted 
in a large child migration out of the northwest United States to the Midwest. I think, thinking, okay, not research, just thinking. Get all these children out there. Remember, children also become breeding stock, right? Children then have children. Um, Give people homesteads, free land. Listen, nothing is free, okay? This was ways that they were likely manipulating the population, and they did it by taking children and loading them up on trains. If you think these people will do anything that's not ruthless or evil toward women, children, or Muslims, I think you need to really, really take another look at some of these shows I've done, okay? I have not speculated once. I am telling you via research what these people are doing. So, the family operates programs in five boroughs of New York City, Rockland County, and Puerto Rico. Its services include foster care, adoptions, education programs, mental health services, and many other community-based services for children. I, know, I remember where I spun off here, okay? This deal here with doing these helpful little clinics for the children and stuff. They're doing that right now. What they're doing is they're setting up facilities. They're raising money. I looked into it like in the last year or so, so I'm just going from memory. What they're doing is they're raising money always to be helpful, right? And the intent is to set up care facilities next to schools. So at these care facilities, all the busy parents have to do is sign a waiver, That way, nobody from school has to bother you if your child has a cough or needs to go see a physician or something. Just sign that waiver. They'll take care of it for you. And that means they will just escort your child over to that doctor and stuff. So, yeah, this is all coming full circle. And this is very interesting that they started back then with this kind of stuff, right? One trick ponies, right? Get those hands on the most vulnerable is the goal here. So now that I spun back to that, let me see where I was. Okay, you want to look for New York Foundling, F-O-U-N-D-L-I-N-G. That was another evil group. There was another group called the Children's Village. That was the one I read off early. That was formerly the New York Juvenile Asylum, now called the Children's Village. See how friendly that sounds? Come on, take your kids to a village is a private nonprofit. See, they have all these things as private nonprofits, not public nonprofits. And I don't know. I don't know why. There's got to be a reason, right? These people are gypsy whores. So there's got to be a reason why it's set up this way. But anyway, onward and upward. If I stopped to point out every time these people robbed us or abused us, I'd probably never get dead. So let me keep moving here. They set up these private residential treatment facilities in school for troubled children. You realize when children are troubled, it's because the adults aren't taking care of them properly, right? It was founded in 1851 by 24 citizens of New York who were concerned about growing numbers of street children in New York. The necessity for such an institution was first proposed by the Association for Improving the Condition of the Poor which helped to get it started. There was actually a group called Association for Improving the Condition of the Poor. You know, the part that really gets me, they rob all the money, they put people in poor surroundings, and then they rush in with their cure, right? If you haven't noticed the patterns here, well, start looking. 
There was a new focus on mental health and social work in the 1920 with the Children's, Children's Village becoming the first residential treatment center in the country to have an on-site psychiatric clinic and a social worker training school. 1920, grab those kids by the minds. The New York Juvenile Asylum and its later incarceration, the Children's Village, saw much success and praise, with many students going on to lead successful lives. However, the Children's Village also saw criticism for its institutionalized model, artificial environment, and practice of mixing virtuous children from broken homes with children who had been arrested for criminal activity. Already segregating the children, right? In the 1970s and 80s, the radical makeup of the children's asylum shifted with an increasingly proportion of African-American students. The median age dropped to 12, and students remained at the facility longer, often for several years. I believe this is called institutionalized incarceration of some sort, right? In the in, actually, in the early, um, I don't remember, 1800s, because I know this for a fact, because it was in my family. Um, my mother had an aunt who was put into a mental institution, and she died there. I know all this because my mother and her cousin were really into genealogy back then. I mean, they did it the real world. They did it by writing letters to people and gathering up information. And, um, yeah, so when my mother was in Montana visiting where her family had homesteaded, she visited the grave of this aunt and found out that the aunt had been killed while she was institutionalized. Because back then, all somebody had to say was that you're crazy and get you locked up. Well, they could still do that here, right? They got me on that 5150. All they had to say was, she's crazy. I've heard that so often. I don't even really know what crazy is. If I'm the model for crazy in this country, I don't know what to tell you. So, in 1990s, there was a rise in opposition. Yeah, many were to close. The Children's Village saw its funding, both from government and from private donors, decrease and had to tap its endowment to remain afloat. These endowments... These greedy whores, they, excuse my French, they get all this money and then they hoard it in endowments, okay? What they do is they set it up so the endowments, they live off the endowment interest is what they do. They're really hoarders of money. They don't pay any taxes. They, they just hoard money, okay? The Children's Village revamped its treatment procedures in light of increased criticism. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. There was an increased focus on treating children's behavior and emotional problems and preparing them for integration with either their families and communities or a foster home. This revamp model results in increasing funding, both government and private. Yeah, I learned about orphans and children on YouTube. How did I learn that? There was this very popular case on YouTube where people adopted a child out of China and brought it here. And from that show, I learned that, you know, all this stuff I've read off as far as all these government agencies and all these good people finding all these little rules and laws to help the children and the half orphans and all that kind of stuff. Well, the system actually has several pretty big flaws in it, surprisingly, right? 
when you bring a child into this country, another country, it just falls off the radar. <laughs> it falls off the radar. I don't know how else to explain it, but a child, and this is in the year 2021, okay? This case happened the last year. This child ended up in some sort of black hole. Nobody really knew who was in charge of it. There was no reporting agency. It just got handed off to some other family. Yeah, it sounds like there was a lot of rules and stuff with all this stuff, right? But I found a couple really big and disturbing black holes in this deal, okay? So, yeah, um, don't get all this stuff into your mind and think that things are really running along and <laughs> organized. Let me talk to you about one orphanage just to give you an example of what orphanages were like, okay? Um, and then I want to talk more about orphanages in general. How did we get this idea about orphans? I, you know, this is this is the part that really has me going. Okay, the first Chicago orphanages, the Chicago Orphan Asylum, and the Catholic Orphan Asylum opened their doors in 1849 in the aftermath of the cholera epidemic. See, there they are being helpful, right? By 1890, there were 12 orphanages in the city. They split along Roman Catholic and Protestant lines. Chicago had no Jewish orphanages until the 1890s. Until then, Jews tried to send orphans to institutions in Cincinnati. But some Jewish orphans lived in Protestant orphanages in Chicago. Almost all orphans in the 19th century Chicago orphanages had one parent living. So all these kids had one parent still alive. They were placed with single-family parents in financial crisis. So one parent, out of money, financial crisis, put the kids in the orphanage, okay? A few of them, like the Home for the Friendless, were gigantic, housing hundreds of children at a time. Turn-of-the-century progressive reformers like Jane Addams attacked orphanages as places that warehoused children in unhealthy, overcrowded buildings. Reformers wanted children kept at home. Despite the complaints, new orphanages continued to be built between 1890 and 1920. Major institutions like the Marks Nathan Jewish Orphan Home opened around the turn of the century. By 1910, Chicago had more than 30 children's homes. While a few were small, most housed 200 to 900 children. They also have this idea of half or or orphans. In other words, half orphans. They had this deal called the Society for the Relief of Half Orphans and Destitute Children. Interesting looking at orphans, right? There's a huge organization named Orphans. And also, if you want to know more about orphans, in the early days, this guy, the star of the Children's Aid, who put these orphans onto trains. Let me pull this together here for you because I've been kind of rattling around a lot of things here. That brace guy from Yale, early on, started this Children's Aid thing, okay? 
they ended up in New York supposedly with all these orphans. They said orphans were all over the streets doing all kinds of crimes and all kinds of things. Because these orphans appeared to be idle, meaning they were up to no good, they decided to put these orphans on trains to send them to the Midwest to find families for them, to help these children, right? So they went from thinking that housing them in big buildings was a bad idea to putting them on a train with a bunch of other kids accompanied by an agent who made scheduled train stops along the way. That was a better idea to these people, okay? Yeah. So anyway, so um, the Center for the Release, the Creative Society for the Relief of Half Orson Deafness to Children. This society was established in 1835. Its purpose was to provide aid to single parents or relatives, most of whom were immigrants, for a weekly or monthly fee. It was incorporated into the New York legislature in April 1837. The society provided room, board, and education to boys and girls from the ages of 4 through 10. I guess this was a way for working one parent to try to do the best for their other child, put them in this facility. The society provided room for education. In addition to the fees paid by the parents, the society was financially supported by donations and funds from the government. They said they accepted and helped more than 2,080 children. I don't know that I believe that whole story. Anyways, um... They also, there's records around here somewhere, but I don't know who would have the energy to look into them. Um, go and do a search for um, movies about orphans. Uh, there's Orphan Annie. I mean, children's stories when they're young. Now, I don't know a lot about children's stories because I don't remember them myself and I didn't have children of my own, but I think in a lot of children's stories, one or the other parent ends up disappearing and the children are left alone. That seems to me, and I'm just guessing here, okay, that seems to be a kind of an overriding thing in children's stories about the children become orphans, okay? There's a lot of stuff about orphans that I'm going to be exploring. Where do we get this idea about orphans from? Um, so, yeah, and there's something here. I don't know what. I'll be playing some sort of a clip to try to explain this. <laughs> I close off here. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You can look for orphanages, a list of orphanages. You can look for um, look for this children's aid group, huge group. Why are they a private society? Good question. Look for the list of movies. Look a list of movies about orphans. Wiki. You will find Wiki actually has a database of movies about orphans because there's so many of them. Why? Well, probably because they were getting used to getting us separated from our own children, making them all orphans, right? I think we're kind of orphans here. <laughs> so, anyhow, be safe out there. Goodbye for now. A man named Charles Loring Brace had moved to New York from Connecticut about this time and was appalled by what he saw. Having studied theology, he was unsure that a church ministry would be his calling. Instead, he chose to work with the poor at a New York City mission. He had seen the poverty of New York firsthand and wanted to do something about it. Brace observed. The truth seems to be that each infant needs one nurse or caretaker, 
and that if you place these delicate creatures in large companies together in any public building, an immense proportion are sure to die. When Reverend Charles Lorian Brace noticed all, all of the overcrowded tenements and kids on the street, he knew that um, something had to happen. Brace founded the Children's Aid Society in 1853. The society facilitated the placing out of children from existing orphanages. Later in his 1872 book, Brace explained. Most touching of all was the crowd of wandering little ones who immediately found their way to the office. Ragged young girls who had nowhere to lay their heads. Children driven from drunkards' homes. Orphans who slept where they could find a box or stairway. Boys cast out by stepmothers or stepfathers. Newsboys, whose incessant answer to our question, where do you live, rang in our ears, don't live nowhere. Little bootblacks, young peddlers, canal boys, who seem to drift into the city every winter and live a vagabond life. Pickpockets and petty thieves trying to get honest work. Child beggars and flower sellers growing up to intercourses of crime. All this motley throng of infantile misery and childish guilt passed through our doors telling their simple stories of suffering and loneliness and temptation until our hearts became sick. During this time period, homeless people were considered criminals, that if you were homeless, you deserved it. And he really had the forward thinking to realize that these children were born into it. They didn't really have a choice. Brace began wondering whether farmers in the Midwest and elsewhere, many eager for a helping hand, might welcome these children. They needed help establishing their claims and homesteads. And so he set up, it was kind of an indenture program where the children were expected to work for their room and board, work on the farm, help establish their claim. But then the parents in turn were supposed to educate them, send them to Sunday school, send them to church, give them a good Christian upbringing as well. Brace wrote in his book, we hope especially to be the means of draining the city of these children by communicating with farmers, manufacturers, or families in the country who may have need of such for employment. In September 1854, Brace's dream of sending children to new homes in the rural west became a reality when the first orphan train was sent to Dowagic, Michigan. The society sent 47 boys and girls, ages 7 to 15. The test was deemed a success and more trains carried children away from New York in the subsequent years. Within 10 years of the first orphan train being sent to the Midwest, the nation was embroiled in the Civil War. The war created thousands of orphans and half-orphans who were ultimately placed on the orphan trains. A group of Roman Catholic nuns started the New York Foundling Hospital, a medical and care center for abandoned infants, the sisters chose to follow the example of the Children's Aid Society in seeking new homes for the babies. What the Sisters of Charity did in 1869, uh, many years later than the orphan trains beginning with the Children's Aid Society, was they set a basket out, a cradle, if you will, and any mother could leave a child she could no longer care for with no questions asked. And they started sending children out on their own version of the orphan trains. Uh, those were called the mercy trains or baby trains because they focused on younger children. 
and you essentially ordered a child from the New York Foundling Hospital. The New York Foundling Hospital had a little bit more of a family-oriented selection process where they would write in, the families would write into the orphanage and say, I want a blue-eyed, blonde-haired boy. And they would get a blue-eyed, blonde-haired boy. You know, it was like ordering a child out of a catalog. In my mother's case, um, what they did is they applied for uh, a girl around the age of two with brown hair and brown eyes. And, and that is the way the foundlings' children were handled. Identification tags were sewn into the foundling children's clothing to ensure they reached the proper family when arriving at a busy train station. They later shifted to placing numbers on the children. The Children's Aid Society typically tried to name a local committee to screen applicants for suitability prior to a train's arrival in their town. The foundling home instead asked a local priest to help find ideal parents for a child.